0: Open your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. As you're turning there, I'll again, add my welcome and thank you all for being here. It's good to see so many visitors with us this morning. We appreciate you coming our way. You truly are our honored guests. We appreciate you being here. We uh, seek to serve God as we see in the New Testament. Under the law of Christ, that is what we seek to do here, Uh, no more and no less. And so I'm very grateful that you've been uh, kind enough to come here and and be together on this first day of the week. Thankful to the men who have led us up to this point, the good comments around the table and the prayers. Um, We are told to do things in an orderly fashion and and to do things to encourage one another. And so uh, I hope you've been encouraged up to this point. You know, in our lives, um, we are under constant pressure to conform. You know, if you think about uh, what conform means, it simply means to comply with the rules or the standards of the laws. And boy, I tell you, just about every aspect of our lives these days are are some kind of compliance, isn't it? It's watering our yards or, or setting out our trash or whatever those things are that we do. There's some kind of compliance that we're always filling out our taxes. We're a little past tax season now, but probably still fresh on our minds. Lots of things that we have to comply with in this world. And often, uh, we are pressured into a conformity that's not suitable for a Christian. And this manifests itself in in many different ways. I can think of um, probably what you're thinking about already is peer pressure, especially amongst our younger members. Uh, Peer pressure is something that... um, that we have to deal with as young people. And it uh, comes down to things like how we dress and and how we talk and the social activities and the people that we uh, engage with and and about. There's lots of pressure there amongst our young people. Immodest dress, um, drinking parties, those kind of things that uh, our young people have to deal with. They're pressured from the outside and and the world to conform to just going along with the things that everyone else is doing. And it's very, very difficult for young people. As we get a little older, we still have the same kinds of pressures, but they manifest themselves a little bit differently. You ever heard this uh, statement, well, just go along to get along? You know, that, that has some, uh, some very negative outcomes and some very negative aspects if you're just going along just to get along. You might be compromising your morals, compromising the standards by which you live your life in order just to get along with somebody. And so that's a pressure of conformity. Something that I call job description creep. And I don't mean creep as in a weird guy or strange guy or something like that. I mean a creep as in you, you set out and you start a job that is was within, within these parameters and you've let your boss know, look, Sundays I'm not going to be here. Sundays I'm going to be worshiping with the Brethren. And Wednesday nights I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be studying in a Bible study with the Brethren. And then over time the job description kind of creeps and all of a sudden you're expected to be at work on Wednesday night or you're expected to be at work on Sunday morning. You're pressured to conform to your workplace and the environments that your workplace has set up and you slowly lose the standards that you set out with. Also, we think about uh, conforming when it comes to our family. And that's difficult because our blood family, we want to get along with them. want to be in a loving relationship with them, but sometimes we can't be because of the decisions that they've made in their life. And there's pressure from them to conform to their way of life to give in to the things that they might be engaged in and, and to forsake the assembling of ourselves together or, or engage in things a Christian ought not to do just because the rest of your family is doing that. That's a very real pressure and a very real problem. The world is constantly pressuring us to compromise our values. But God tells us that we need to be strong in the face of this kind of pressure. The Hebrew writer in chapter 10, verse 39, says, We are not the ones who shrink back to destruction. There in chapter 10, he's talking about that you need to have confidence and you need to have endurance because this is what we have. Jesus Christ has come. This is our salvation. This is the law of Christ that we live under. Nothing else is coming. So you've got to hold fast to what you have and endure And he says there, we're not the ones that shrink back to destruction. We keep moving forward. And that, of course, is setting the stage for what he will talk about in chapter 11, about all those great examples of faith. Men and women that demonstrated faith because they didn't turn back. They didn't shrink back to destruction. In other words, we're not to be conformed to this world. In our lesson today... We're going to look at uh, some famous nonconformists. I think you probably got an idea of some of those already. And we're going to look at some things in God's Word that help us to, uh, it, that God has given us as tools and encouragement so that we can make the right decisions in our own life and make sure that we are not conformed to this world, to make sure that we are living a life set apart to Christ. We talked about that this morning in our. Bible class in in Peter he talks about he says there from uh, in chapter 1 of 1 Peter 1 about be holy for I am holy The instructions from our Lord we have to be set apart we don't need to be conformed to this world so we'll talk about some things that God has given to us as tools as encouragement so that we can be conformed to Christ we can be conformed to the image of God and not conformed to this world so let's start off talking about some, some nonconformists. I wanted to start off this morning talking about Joseph. So if you're there in chapter 39 of Genesis, let's speak a little bit about Joseph. We remember Joseph, how his brothers sold him into slavery, and how he will wind up down in Egypt. It says there in verse uh, 1 of chapter 39, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. So we know this story very well, don't we, about Joseph. He winds up here in the house of Potiphar. I want you to notice what it says there in verse 2. It says, And the Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And we, we know the story that follows here. It says that Joseph was good-looking in his appearance. And he was in the house of Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife uh, longed for him. And she, on several occasions, asked him to lie with her. Remember what Joseph did. He refused. He refused to be conformed to what she wanted. And we know the account there that that one account he goes in uh, and she ask him to lie with her and he says no and she grabs him by the cloak and he runs out and leaves his cloak behind and she uses that as a, as a way to condemn him that, that he had done something he should not have done. And remember he winds up in jail, He winds up in prison because of a false accusation. But he had stood firm, but yet he was still accused falsely and still suffered consequences for that. Look down in verse 19 of Genesis 39. It says, Now when it came about, his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me, and his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. Now I want you to notice verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor inside of the chief jailer. In two places here in this account, we see where the Lord was with Joseph. And why was that? It's because he wasn't conforming to the world. He was holding on to the things that were right and good and proper. And in the face of uh, sin, in the face of temptation, he held on to his moral standards. And because of that, God was with him. And we know the rest of the story here and how he prospered even in jail. We know that he'll go on to prosper even more because Joseph stood by his convictions. He didn't give in to the sins of the world. I want to talk about another set of nonconformists. Look with me in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. We know these four men, too, very well. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know here in the story that's, that's laid out for us in Daniel chapter 1 how, how they had been taken into captivity by the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar. And the king wanted them to be taught under their rules and their customs and wanted them to eat things according to their customs. Even, they even went so far as changing their names. I have those intermingled. Um, Daniel's name was Belteshazzar, and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know the names well. But remember what they decided to do. Look in verse 8 of Daniel chapter 1. It says, But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice of food, or with the wine in which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now notice verse 9. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. that sound familiar? that sound like the same God that was with Joseph and the, the problems that he was facing? And because Joseph stood firm, God was with him. Notice what's happening here. Daniel stood firm, and God was with him. And we know the story, how that goes on here, that he wanted to eat only vegetables, and the commander of the guard said, well, you know, if if you do that, and and the king's got something invested in you here, and if he comes around and sees that you look puny, these are my words, not the scripture, "Uh, you know, it's my head that's on the line. And they, Daniel says, well, I'll tell you what, we'll eat what we want to eat. And then he comes around, and then if we're unhealthy, then so be it. And we know the story here that they weren't, that they, they flourished. Look what it says in verse 17. And as for these four youths, youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams because of the stand that they took. God was with them, and he granted them things, and they flourished. Even in this situation that they were in, they were in captivity. They were in a hostile land, but yet they were in the king's court, and they flourished. Now, we know also some stories that are going forward about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar set up a golden image. Remember, they required everybody to bow down to it, but remember what those three said? They said, we're not going to do that. We're not going to bow down to this golden image that you've set up. Remember what Nebuchadnezzar did? He threw them in a furnace. And remember what happened to them. They came out the other side. God was with them. Why? Because they stood by their convictions. They weren't conformed to this world. Daniel goes on to have his own set of problems when he interprets the king's dreams and the things that happened to him. But he stood firm. He wasn't conformed. To this world. I want to share one last nonconformist and the greatest nonconformist of all and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me in John chapter 4. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. Here in John chapter 4 and verse 34, as he's talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, he says there in verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. A lot of teaching that's going on right here in this little account. But Jesus says, I come to do the will of my Father. That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to conform to the scribes, the Pharisees, all those things that we, that we read throughout Scripture. We're, we're studying on Sunday nights the Sermon on the Mount. I'll take a moment here to give a little plug for that. We're going to be talking about how he chastises the, the scribes and the Pharisees for the false teachings and the things that they've been doing uh, wrong over the years, and he corrects the record. Jesus wasn't going to conform to uh, the culture of the day when it transgressed the word of God. He came to do the will of his Father. And if you look over in chapter 17 of John, we see that he accomplished that. John chapter 17 of verse 4 says, I glorified thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which, the work which thou hast given me to do. Jesus' mission was to come and, and tell about the gospel. Remember that, that the very first message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was Jesus' job, and he accomplished it. He didn't conform to the things that were going on in the world that were leading people astray. He did the will of his Father. Look over in Acts chapter 10. Peter here, we remember this story here. Peter's at the house of Cornelius. They've asked him to come and... Um, Preach to them the words of, of God. And, and so he has is, he is come and the, thing, the vision that he has with the animals of the sheep being let down from heaven, all that has taken place. And come to verse 34. And, and, and opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent uh, to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know the things which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him in the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things he did both in the land of the Jews and Jerusalem. And they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. Notice what it said there at the end of verse 38. The same thing as, these, as was said of these other individuals. That God was with him. Why? Because he was doing the will of the Father. So in the midst of all the things that are going on here in the preaching and the... Uh, and the teachings that were going on and the people in the world rejecting him and trying to put him to death, he continued to do the will of God, the will of his Father, up to the point of death. And Peter, speaking in, on the day of Pentecost there in Acts chapter 2. In verse 36, he reminds him, and says, This Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus' nonconformity went all the way to the point of the cross. The point of being put to on death, put to death on the cross. So when we think about not conforming to this world, Jesus Christ is that ultimate example. He came to do the will of the Father, not to be conformed to this world. So what about this not being conformed to this world? Jack read for us there from from Romans chapter twelve. Familiar passage to us there, verses one and two. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is—that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? It means that we're doing it right now, that we're studying from God's Word. We're hearing a message from God's Word. It means that we are constantly renewing ourselves, constantly in touch with the will of God, always reaching back to Scripture making sure that we are in compliance with that law not the law of the world but the law of Christ simple easy to understand do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind over in 1 Peter 4 verses 1 through 5 says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of his time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For the time has already passed, it is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them in their same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Peter's making the argument here, look, Jesus Christ has suffered in the flesh. What have you done? Have you suffered to the point of being put to death on a cross? Because he has suffered... We need to live a life free from sin. The time has already passed. It's it's, it's, it's sufficient for you to have carried out those things. Those things you've done in the past, that's enough. Now it's time to live a life set apart to God. To live a life to Christ, because He has suffered for us. And He says there in verse 4 And all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them. Does that ring true for us today? Absolutely, it does. Are people surprised with the, the lifestyle that you live? When you tell your boss, I'm not going to be here on Sunday. I'm going to be worshiping with the saints. Or when you tell your boss, I'm not going to wine and dine these clients. Because that's not in character with my beliefs as a Christian. When you tell your teachers in school that, look, I'm not going to participate in that. That goes against my beliefs. We're not surprised by that at all in our world. We see it all the time. In Ephesians 4, some similar language here. Beginning verse 17 of Ephesians 4 So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. Very similar language to what Peter was saying, right? Don't walk that way, not the way the Gentiles do. The futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluding the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their hearts. And they have become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the, uh, for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. This is what those in the world are engaged in. They don't care what God has to say and what God has put forth. They're living their lives according to every kind of impurity with greediness. Look what he says, beginning verse 20. But you, you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, just is just in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Sound familiar? Lay aside that old self, which is being corrupted, and put on the new self. How? Renewed with the spirit of your mind. There it is again. Being renewed. Constantly being refreshed. Refreshed. Constantly going back to the Word of God and making sure your life is conforming to that and not to the world. In Hebrews chapter 11, I mentioned this a minute ago about these examples of faith that we read in chapter 11 in Hebrews. We read about Moses, another nonconformist. Verse 24 of Hebrews 11, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. There's the nonconformity. Moses could have lived a life of ease. Being who he was, being the situation in which he found himself. But he refused that. What did he do? Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. What better example, earthly example, do we need of a man who chose not to have those things that were immediately fulfilled, but rather he was looking for the things that were down the road? Looking to the reward. Rather than enjoying the passing pleasures of sin, the things in this world are temporary. No matter how you slice it, they're temporary. The Things of heaven are eternal. And that's where we put our treasures. That's where we lay up our treasures. That's where we store up those things, the, the things that we engage in. Not to put money in our bank account, our fancy cars in our garages. We lay up treasures in heaven, the spiritual things, the things that God has asked us to do. So what is the source then? What is the ultimate source of our nonconformity? I want to leave you with this passage from Romans 5. Romans 5 beginning in verse 3. It says, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare die. He'll go on in verse 8, the the verse we know pretty well, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But look what's mentioned in here, proven character. The tribulations that we suffer, the, the things that we endure, that brings about perseverance. And what does that perseverance do? It proves our character so that we can stand in the face of conformity and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to live my life that way. No, Mrs. Potiphar. I'm not going to do that. No, Nebuchadnezzar. I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to bow down to the, this golden God that you have set up. No, scribes and Pharisees. This is not God's law. What you have been teaching and preaching, what I am telling you is God's law. Not being conformed to this world. While we were yet sinners, the right time Christ died for us. So we have the hope of an eternal life in heaven when this life is over. But there's a stipulation we have to be of Christ. We have to be in the kingdom of God. We cannot be of this world. The question comes down then to this. Are you conformed to this world? Are you engaged in things in this world? Are you being led astray by people in this world? Are you compromising your values and not holding to the values that God has set forth in his holy word? If you are, I encourage you to Make the necessary corrections in your life. To live a life set apart to God and to come out of the world. The things in the world are temporary. And they're passing away. The love of God endures forever. And the hope of salvation that we have endures forever. If you're not a child of God, I encourage you to become one. I encourage you to m- make the necessary changes in your life and to become a child of God through baptism. If as a child of God you, you find yourself ever more conformed to this world, I encourage you to make the, make the changes necessary so that you can come out of the world and be set apart and live a life to God. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.